We're studying in 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter 1, uh, continuing this morning, I believe, with uh, verse 10. Uh, divisions in the church is what uh, Paul was dealing with. Uh, this was a problem in most of the churches at that time, uh, mostly due to Judaizers uh, who would come into the church. They were, they claimed to be Christians. Uh, I, I guess maybe they were, I don't know. But they were also uh, clinging to circumcision primarily. Uh, some of them cling to other things as well. Uh, it's kind of like the, the anti-groups today, you know, Churches of Christ, uh, are divided. There are various groups who have different beliefs, and that's pretty much what was going on uh, at this time in the churches uh, of the first century uh, because of the two different kind of people, the Jews and the Gentiles. Uh, we've discussed, I think, the bigger part of this, so we'll just read it, verse 10. And uh, I believe we'll start with verse 13 or maybe 14. Uh, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. It has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Uh, contentions uh, literally means wranglings. They were, uh, they were fussing with different factions in the church. <clears throat> this is where we start again. Uh, now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of the Christ. Uh, there's four groups he mentions here, four different sects. It's not to be taken literally. It may have been three sects. It may have been five sects. We don't know. But for illustration purposes, Paul uses four sects. He doesn't want to call them out, not yet. So uh, he, uh, he uses uh, people in, their, in the place that himself. That's like a preacher. When a preacher's talking, Instead of talking about uh, your sin, he'll talk about his own. You don't want to. You don't want to talk about somebody's sin. If you have to use an illustration, you usually use yourself if it's uh, applicable. But uh, in this case, Paul cites four people. This wasn't the divisions. Now keep that in mind. Uh, it was only an example. Uh, in chapter four and verse six, he'll said, "Now these things, talking about these various sects." These things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake. Why? That you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, and that none of you be, may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. And this was the problem. I didn't want to call you out by name, so I, I figuratively used myself and Apostle, Apollos rather, as an example. Uh, because I wanted to teach you a lesson. Number one, you do not go beyond what is written. Uh, there's nothing said about Paul or Apollos being the head of the church, uh, and this is what they had done. They had elevated them to a position, and uh, it became the group of Paul, the group of Apollos, and so on. Uh, no, that's not written. There's only Christ. There's no one else but Christ. 
And secondly, that they shouldn't be puffed up. My group's better than your group. The group of Paul's better than the group of Apollos. That's what he's talking about. Uh, this was the, the fractions that existed in the church, and it was a serious problem. In chapter 3 and verse 21, he says, Therefore let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. You're not supposed to rally around a man. You're supposed to rally around Christ. Uh, the man isn't supposed to be up on a pedestal. I've seen all my life preachers put up on pedestals. I don't know how many times uh, I've had someone tell me, uh, well, I'm going to call... Uh, 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 Brother Flat, and I'm going to find out what he has to say about it. Who's Brother Flat? <laughs> Why would you call him? Uh, if you disagree with what I said, go to the Bible. That's, that's where you go. You go to Christ. You don't go to a man uh, unless you're looking for uh, some instruction, perhaps. But as far as finding out what the Bible actually teaches, you go to the Bible. And sometimes, a lot of times, really, not, not so much now, but in the past it has been that way. Uh, people uh, put, had men on a pedestal. Whatever they said, that was it. That was the rule. Uh, you teach something, and it's different than what brother so-and-so taught. And somebody gets uh, angry over it because, well, brother so-and-so said doesn't so. You know, okay, well, let's look at what the Bible says. Well, brother so-and-so said doesn't so. Okay, that's good and fine. But let's look at what the Bible says, and it doesn't work. It doesn't seem to matter what the Bible says because brother so-and-so said this and that and the other thing. I don't know of a preacher who would say that he hasn't made a mistake in what he taught. I know I have. I've had to come back and apologize a lot of times because I taught something I thought was correct only to find out later I was wrong. And then I had to come back and tell you I was wrong. Every preacher goes through that. Just because a preacher says something 20 years ago doesn't mean he's going to say the same thing today because preachers are just like the rest of us. As they live and study, they learn more and more. And sometimes what they learn is that they were mistaken about something. Uh, but people don't, I don't know, People, for some reason, put men on pedestals. You should never do that. I don't care who it is. Uh, there's no man worth a pedestal. There just isn't such a person. The only one that belongs on the pedestal is the Lord. And uh, he is the final answer to everything. But uh, it was a problem, ma'am. It's a problem today. Uh, nevertheless, uh, we keep on trucking on. I was reading some articles from the Christian Chronicle. Uh, over the weekend, and uh, I was amazed at how much uh, preacheritis still lives in big churches. Mostly it's the big churches, uh, you know, a thousand or more people. Uh, this, this preacheritis thing that people have, uh, whatever they say goes. I think the elders even take their instructions from the preacher. Uh, it's sad, it's pathetic. And the things that are going on in the churches of Christ are so wrong, it's not even funny. Uh, and it's largely due to, well, preachers. Preachers like big crowds. Let's be honest about it. If the preacher gets a big crowd, what comes next? He, he gets a big raise. 
And that's what it's about with a lot of people. Preachers like anybody else. Uh, a preacher, we pray to God they're not that way, but every now and then you're going to run across one that it's all about money. I knew a preacher one time that after he was converted, he went through Freed Hardeman, he got out of school, he became a very popular preacher. And he never quit smoking pot. He smoked pot the whole time. You can't put a man on a pedestal. Men are flesh and blood. And as such, they can be wrong. They can be driven by impure motives. So Christ has to be the final answer. Let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Uh, the beautiful bride of Christ, this is the way she's supposed to look. However, when she gets divided into Paul, Paul is Cephas, and Christ, she loses her beauty. She's not what she was supposed to be. You got the party of Paul, of Apollos, of Cephas, and of Christ. It's only a matter of time in this illustration you're going to have four different denominations. Well, you may have it already. But eventually they're going to break out. They're going to build another building somewhere and they're going to become another church. It's going to be the church of Paul or the church of Apollos. This is uh, inevitable when you have this factious spirit that lives in the church. And the church just isn't what she ought to be. Paul would go on in verse 13 and ask the very simple question, is Christ divided? It is, 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 is Christ divided? How can there be 1,200 denominations? Well, that's not really possible, is it? Why? Because there's only one church. That's the beautiful bride of Christ. She's not supposed to be divided. Nevertheless, in what's called Christendom, there are multiple denominations can they be a part of the beautiful bride of Christ? Well, no. Why? Because there's only one church, Ephesians 4.4. 4. There is one body, Paul wrote. Uh, it's, it's, it's so, this whole, this whole idea of the church has been so lost that you can say what you say to most people today and they'll think you're nuts. What are you talking about? There's nothing wrong with denominations. That's the church. It's just got different groups. There's one church, yes, but there's 1,200 different groups. That's what Paul's arguing right here. You can't have it that way. It can't be that way. There can't be divisions, and if there are divisions, there is sin. Somebody's sinning. When a brother hates a brother, someone is sinning. I, I've heard people talk about back in so-and-so days, uh, brother so-and-so would sit on this side of the building and the other brother would sit on this side of the building and never would talk to each other. They despised each other. Now, let's think about it. You, you know enough to know. Are them, those men going to go to heaven and live with God? Can you imagine two men who hate each other both living with God? How can hate live in an environment of love? They go through the motions. Every Sunday they go through the motions and they hold that hate in their heart. And they won't talk to each other and both of them hope they're going to go to heaven. I can tell you what the chances are of them going to heaven. It's about zero to none. It isn't going to happen. 
that kind of bitterness is not going to survive in the kingdom of God. It'll perish. But we all know, we've heard every preacher that comes through here talk about it, where so-and-so hates so-and-so. Brethren, it can't be that way. If I have something in my heart against someone else, I better get it fixed. I better get the hate out of myself. I better get rid of the bitterness because I'll never survive that way. It just will not happen. And uh, unfortunately, uh, that exists much, much too often. And it's, uh, it's very, very sad. It's, it's all right to hate sin, but you have to be very careful about hating the sinner and wishing them to hell. Uh, that's the wrong spirit. It's not the spirit of Christ. These party groups, if not corrected, would destroy the church, and the church was destroyed not long after. The Corinthian church didn't last too long. Uh, she more or less goes out of history. There's no record of her. But, uh, and it was partly due to this as well as other problems that existed. Uh, when, when this happens, it, the church ceases to be the bride of Christ. Uh, my BR is one person. She's not four. She's just one. Okay. Is Christ divided? Well, no, that's not. There's one body, Ephesians 4.4. 4. Was Paul crucified for you? Well, we believe Paul was crucified, but not for us. He was crucified because he was, no, he was beheaded. He was beheaded because he was a Christian, but he didn't die to atone for my sin. Uh, only Christ did that. Were you baptized in the name of Paul? In the name of, by, were you baptized because that was the instruction of Paul the Apostle? And the answer is no. We do that because Jesus authorized us to do it. That's why we're baptized. Uh, the point is, uh, all authority is vested in Christ. Uh, he is the head of the church. Uh, his name is above every and all names. And there should be uh, only one body uh, in any congregation. Only one. And if there's two or more, there's a problem. A big, big, big problem. And... Uh, Sadly, that a lot of times that problem exists. Uh, Paul said, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say I had baptized in my own name. Now pay attention to what he says in verses 14 and 15. I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, two people. Why? Because someone might say I had baptized in my own name. Someone might say, Crispus might say, I was baptized in the name of Paul. Paul is my leader. When Paul said, I'm glad that I didn't baptize many of you people, just the two, because this way it's not going to get started that I baptize people in my name as though I had the authority to uh, give such an instruction. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus besides uh, I do not know whether I baptized any other. He baptized uh, two individuals. He baptized the household of Stephanus. Why? Because people might have started saying they were baptized in the name of Paul. And he didn't want that to happen. For Christ did not send me to baptize. Now, this is why I wanted you to pay attention to that. 
This is the verse many people use to refute the necessity of baptism. Paul didn't baptize. Christ didn't send him to baptize. It's, it's twisting the text. People try to make it mean what they want it to mean rather than allowing the text to read uh, as it was intended. Okay? Uh, Christ did not send me to baptize. Well, did Christ send Paul to baptize? The answer is yes. That was the ultimate goal. But what he's pointing out is what his primary mission was. Okay? What was that preaching the gospel? Taking the gospel to the Gentiles, predominantly to the Gentiles. Uh, uh, a Roman citizen talking to Roman citizens. Uh, they would listen better to him than they would a Jew. So Christ enlisted me in his army that I would go forth and teach the Gentiles about God and about Jesus, the Son of God, uh, not primarily to baptize. Okay, now we know that a lot of people were baptized as a result of Paul's preaching. Well, did Paul, why? Did he not baptize anyone else? Well, I don't know who all Paul might have baptized. But one thing, keep in mind, when Paul traveled, there was a caravan that went with him most of the time. There were uh, several disciples who would be there whenever he preached. And when he got done preaching and people decided they wanted to become a Christian, more than likely, Paul did the same thing that Jesus did. If you remember, Jesus did not baptize himself, but his disciples did the baptizing. Whenever the Lord went and preached the good news of the kingdom, people responded to it. They wanted to be baptized for remission of sins, and the apostles baptized those people. And basically, this is what Paul's saying. I went forth to preach the gospel. People responded. I personally didn't do all the baptizing. He may have baptized a few along and along, but I didn't do the most of the baptizing. Why? Well, that wasn't really my mission. The other disciples were there, and they would do that. My primary mission was to preach the gospel, make the gospel known. Paul isn't saying that baptism isn't necessary. What he's trying to teach is that what, that wasn't his primary mission. He focused on preaching rather than baptizing. And other disciples would do that in his place. Christ did not send me personally to baptize, but to preach the gospel. He sent me personally to preach the gospel. That's the meaning, basically, of what the apostles are talking about. Bill uh, knows it. Uh, in India, we did the exact same thing. Uh, we preached the gospel. Uh, one day there was, uh, I think, 6,000-something people baptized. I didn't baptize one of them. The Indians took care of that. Well, were they still baptized? Yes, they were baptized. Did I have anything to do with their conversion? I don't know. Maybe I did. Maybe I didn't. I don't know. Uh, but I know that people were baptized after I got done preaching, and... Uh, I didn't baptize one of them. Somebody else did it. Uh, and that's kind of the situation Paul was in. He's not saying that he didn't believe in baptism. I had an argument with a preacher uh, 20, 30, 40 years ago. 
boy, it sounds funny to say 40 years ago, doesn't it? Uh, and it was over this very thing. Uh, 40 years ago. Man, that sounds bad. It was over this very subject that right here where Paul wasn't sent to baptize. Therefore, baptism isn't necessary. Uh, he sent me to preach the gospel. And this is the point that he's going to lead into. Uh, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. Uh, it's not about the eloquence of a person's uh, speaking that matters. What matters is uh, his ability to instruct. I know a preacher, uh, as far as being a, a good speaker, uh, he wasn't a good speaker. You know, he wasn't eloquent, he wasn't fluid. Uh, he didn't have a bunch of examples and illustrations and all that stuff. Uh, he never really made you laugh at all. Uh, but if you'd listen to him, he'd teach you something. Uh, I don't think I ever heard that man preach that I didn't learn. He wasn't eloquent in speech, but he was an excellent teacher. If you would pay attention to what he was saying. You had to pay attention or you wouldn't get it. Uh, I don't know what Paul was like preaching. Uh, I doubt he could have been eloquent, <clears throat> but he chose not to go that route. Uh, he was a, a very educated man. He was uh, groomed for higher things in Judaism. But uh, when he went forth preaching the gospel, uh, I think he did like our Lord did. <clears throat> He put it down on the level of the average man. You know, even the language, Koine Greek, uh, some people refer to it as street Greek. Uh, what it is, it's the language of the people. It's what the people on the street talk. Uh, most of the snobs, they spoke classical Greek. But the vast majority of the population spoke street Greek. Uh, and that's what Jesus preached. He preached street Greek. And that's what Paul preached. Uh, they could, either one could have been an eloquent speaker. Uh, if you read Jesus' sermons, uh, hey, let's be honest, it's not eloquent. Uh, I, I don't know if you all remember, but one time, I don't know when it was, I think it was one night, uh, I sat down like Jesus would have sat down, and I... Uh, preached the Sermon on the Mount, word for word, chapter 5, 6, and 7. And uh, when I got done, I think most everybody agreed that a preacher that preached like that today uh, wouldn't be employed very long because he didn't have a lot of pizzazz about him. His sermon would be considered dry. But now stop and think. That was the sermon Jesus preached. Very plain. Very dry. But very simple. Anybody could understand it. The purpose of preaching or teaching is to impart knowledge to another person. To take something out of the Bible into my mind understanding, of course, what the Lord has said, and to, to, 
to speak it in such a way that it can flow out of my mind and into your mind so you can process it yourself. That's why there's such a thing as preachers and teachers. If it's not about imparting knowledge, it's not about anything that's worthwhile. And y'all, I got books at home, probably a dozen books filled with uh, illustrations and, and jokes and all the stuff that public speakers refer to in order to have uh, the ability to, to entertain and, you know, to make people laugh on cue when you want them to. Uh, that's not what it's about, not supposed to be about. It's supposed to be about imparting knowledge. And if I'm not imparting knowledge, I'm not doing the job. It's not about me. I'm the mouth. And my job is to ingest divine knowledge and then spit it back out to the people. I'm just the mouth in between God and you. Uh, and all the other foo-foo stuff needs to be left alone. Uh, if, you, if you read Paul, in chapter 2 especially, you're going to find out that he made it his aim to be very, very, very simplistic in his teaching. And he was, most of the time. Some, his subject matter sometimes were very intense. His language, his language is always very simple uh, if, if you understood the language. Any questions or comments over this? Preaching isn't, uh, I don't know, something's got lost in the translation, but whether I talk to one person or I talk to 30 or 40 people. It should be the same thing. It should always be the same thing. There's, there's nothing, nothing unique about the man. And sometimes because men are flesh and blood, people have a tendency to latch on to them as being their lifeline. And that's not good. That's not good at all. We should never do that. Uh, the preacher is supposed to hide behind the cross and let Jesus shine. Make sure that Jesus shines. He's the Savior, and the preacher uh, can't be seen, lest the cross of Christ be made of no effect. Uh, it'll lose its punch, what it's supposed to do. Paul's mission is explained uh, in somewhat in Acts 26, 16, and 18. He, uh, the Lord said, I have appeared to you for this purpose. This was the reason, Paul. I got off my throne to address you, to make you a minister and a witness. He would uh, serve Christ as a minister, but he would also be a witness to Christ. I don't know how that happened. When he was lifted up into the third heaven, I don't know what happened, but something happened that made Paul a witness from the beginning of Christ's ministry till the day he was resurrected. I don't know how that happened, but it happened. And he was 
a bona fide witness to all those events some years after uh, Christ had went back to heaven. He, he wanted him to be a witness where he could tell it firsthand. For this purpose, Paul, I've come to you to make you my servant as well as a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. Now, there was something he seen while he was in heaven. He couldn't talk about it. He said he couldn't talk about it. Uh, that had to remain uh, very private and personal. But uh, something happened that enabled him to talk about Jesus uh, as an eyewitness. I don't know. Above my pay grade. <clears throat> Why? To open their eyes, the eyes of the people, in order, once their eyes are open, they might turn from darkness to light, out of the path of darkness to light. The world in the Bible is uh, portrayed as a very dark place. Uh, the world doesn't know where it came from, doesn't know why it's here, and it doesn't know where it's going. As far as the world's concerned, they came to be, and they'll live their three score and 10, and then they'll die and be gone. They just don't know why. That's the darkness that the Lord is referring to. It's not a, a, a literal darkness, but a figurative darkness. When you don't know where you're going, when you don't know where you are, that's a very frightening thing. If you don't know what the future holds for you, you're, you're walking aimlessly, you're living aimlessly. You're doing what you've been groomed to do uh, by the world, education, a career path, build a family, retire, and then die. And you've got to ask yourself the question along the way, why? Why is this, is this happening? But there's no answer. Why? Because you live in darkness. Paul's mission was to present himself as a servant of the Christ, as a witness of the Christ, and find those people who had no idea where they were, where they were going, and shine the light of truth on them. And by shining the light of truth on them, he puts them in a position where they can decide for themselves what they want to do. That's the best a preacher can do, or a teacher. You can shine the light but however a person responds, that's beyond your control. And this is what Paul was to do. Turn them from darkness, turn them to light, from the power of Satan to God. Well, I pushed the wrong button. <clears throat> that they may receive forgiveness of sins. That's the goal the, the teacher 
prays for is that these people who are in sin, in darkness, in the kingdom of Satan, not even knowing it, that they might, by the light, turn from their path and be fortunate enough to receive forgiveness of sin. That was uh, the mission, that was the work. Uh, not to get rich, uh, not to be famous, but to help others see the truth. That they have a forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified, sanctified, cleansed by faith in me, Jesus. Uh, that was Paul's uh, mission in life, not baptizing, but converting people. Once they were converted, they would have to be baptized. That follows. But that wasn't the mission. The mission was conversion, and baptism follows as an act of obedience. Uh, Christ, the wisdom and power of God, uh, verses 18 through 31. Uh, this won't take long, I don't believe. Uh, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Jesus died for the sins of the world. He was raised back to life on day three. One day he'll resurrect everyone who has ever lived beginning with Adam and all people will appear for him on that day a day of judgment now we take it well yeah but if you are in a world of darkness what does that sound like to you suppose, suppose, suppose a man claimed to have power to raise the dead. What would you think? Well, that's, you know, that's fantastic. That's impossible. Such a thing could never happen. Now think about a person living in a world of darkness, trying to accept the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. You've got to be kidding me. I've never seen anyone raised from the dead. Forgiveness of sin? What sin? I don't have sin. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't bother anybody else. I mind my own business. I leave other people alone. I don't have sin. I don't need remission of sin. I don't need a savior. I'm doing pretty good by myself. That's the way the world thinks about it. And when they hear something about the resurrection of the Christ, they think you've lost your mind. Because it's not, it's not a part of the natural order of things. When people die, they turn to dust. And that's what people know. It's a, it's a, a foolish thing to a person who lives in darkness. I don't know about you, I can remember When I thought the resurrection of Christ, the entire story, I thought it was, you know, a little bit, a little bit overboard. 
raised from the dead? You got to be kidding. I've never seen it happen. I don't believe it can happen. Paul said we walk by faith and not by sight. The people that live in darkness, they can't do that. They can't walk by faith. They don't have faith. They walk by sight. That's all they know is what they see, what they experience, what they taste, what they hear, what they feel. That's all they know. And you start talking about these supernatural events and a supernatural person, and they think you're out of your mind. I've heard people laugh about our faith in Christ a lot of times because it's a most fantastic idea. It sounds like something someone would dream up because they're afraid of death. And by inventing a person named Jesus, we can at least have a, a hope. A, a vain hope, yes, but nevertheless a hope we hold on to. We believe in something we know isn't going to happen because it brings us comfort. It's, uh, it's hard for us to understand. Uh, when, when I was first converted, uh, I, I started a book about what things I believed and didn't believe. And ever since then, I, I kept up with that. I added more material to it as my thinking changed. And uh, back in the, the beginning, uh, I was baptized into Christ. Uh, I don't know that I really believed. I guess I had some kind of belief, but it, w it wasn't much. It wasn't much. I think it was more like wishful thinking than it was a belief. I didn't have a, a religious background. I didn't understand those things. And it was a bitter pill to swallow. Uh, but I continued trying to swallow the pill. And over the process of time, uh, I changed. And I got to where I understood. But uh, I had to see the evidence first. And then I could believe. Um, the world will naturally think our preaching and teaching is foolish. And I understand why they do, don't you? It, you're coming to Adam from a whole different world, and they don't get it. You can't take it personally. It's not us, per se, that are foolish, except for the fact that we believe it. It's the message itself that they think is foolish. The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, those who are in the very dark world. But to us who have seen the light and are being saved, uh, the message of the cross is the power of God. God's power to save us. Uh, his message has the necessary ingredients to lift us up to heaven if we you know, live by it, allow it to live in us. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, man's wisdom, human wisdom. It kept them from seeing God. It's like many scientists today. They can't see God, even though they're looking at him through their test tubes and everything else. They can't see him. They got a block in their mind 
and they can't see God even though he's looking back at them. In the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It was their wisdom that kept them from seeing God. Therefore, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who would not believe. The Jews, they request a sign. Show me a sign and I'll believe. The Greeks seek after wisdom, not a Jew who is nailed to a cross, being the savior of the world. There's no Greek going to accept that. Hardly. Some did, but most would not. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness. But to those who are called, both you and Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, the weakness of God is stronger than men. You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, according to the flesh at least, not many mighty, according to the flesh at least, or the noble, they're not called. They don't receive the call. But the, the, God has chosen the foolish things of the world. A savior who was nailed to a cross, a tree, he chose the foolish things of the world to put to shame those wise people who through their own wisdom could not see the truth. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, at least in their own minds. He chose the base things of the world, the things which are despised, God has chosen, and the things which are not. To bring to nothing the things that are, that no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. All things are found in Christ, that as it is written, let he who glories, let him glory in the Lord, not in a man. We'll have to stop now, and uh, we'll begin again, God willing, next week uh, with chapter 2. My battery's going out, really. <laughs>